This is Orson Welles on the Air, featuring the old-time radio performances of the legendary Orson Welles. Good evening, this is Orson Welles. This is your radio almanac. Our astrology department says the moon is in Sagittarius, which controls the hips and thighs. This should be a great night at the Palladium. (laughs) We've just got time before the show starts for a health hint from our home physician. There are two cures for hiccups. One, frighten the patient. Two, take his bottle away. Thank you, Dr. Snake Oil. And now a word for the housewife, Prudence Pratt. Uh, To stop a child from sucking his thumb, apply chocolate syrup to thumb. Then show child that syrup is kept in cupboard. He will then suck around the cupboard. (laughs) Welcome, one and all, to the sign of the flying red horse. And every week at this same time, over these same stations, the makers of mobile gas and mobile oil bring you Orson Welles. Hello? Orson Welles speaking. Oh, darling. Where are you? What? What? Why didn't you tell me? Oh, at what time? Gee. 10.23 this morning. Really? Eight and a half pounds. Darling, I'm the happiest man in the world. I'll be home as soon as the program's over. Where's my secretary, Miss Grimmett? Yes? Bundle from heaven. Did you hear that? Yes, I did, Mr. Wells. Does that mean... Yes, finally got my laundry back. <laughs> well, Miss Grimmett, what's the first business for the day? The man is waiting for you from the reducing salon. That, also... that French monsieur, will you please tell me, Miss Grimmett, why you hired that man to give me reducing treatments? I don't often repeat it, but it has been said that Wells has a figure to brag about. Yes, and what Wells brags about, drags about. <laughs> Miss Grimmett, in the future, you might be a little more careful about making disparaging remarks. You might find yourself unemployed on your 26th birthday. Oh, oh Mr. Wells, do you really think I look 25? No, but you had a lot of fun for a minute, didn't you? <laughs> Now, you may return to your typewriter. Uh, Mr. Wells, I've been trying to tell you your guest is waiting. Oh, have him come in. Ladies and gentlemen, the Mercury Theater presents with pride an old friend and a truly great actor, Mr. Charles Lawton. Thank you. I know I promised to be a guest, but my mind isn't in it. You You must help me out of the problem I've got. Oh, what's the trouble, Charlie? Well, Orson, you're the one director I know who has the perfect understanding of characters and who can really interpret lines. I'm at my wit's end. Would you tell me what, what do these lines mean? If the total of your 1943 payments, item 13, section B, paragraph 4, is larger than your fiduciary income and the earned income credit minus your fiduciary... Let me see that, Charlie. You may take deductions for depreciation, obsolescence, and amortization of emergency facilities. What does amortization mean? Who knows, old boy? I gave up on fiduciary. (laughs) Control yourself, Charlie. Now, here's something we can all understand. A married person living with husband or wife, if only one return or a joint return is filed or head of a family 40%, 
plus 2% for each dependent of line four, but not more than $1,000. Plus 100% of each dependent. Stick him up, Dick Tracy. I got you covered. How does that get in there? Look what I found. An, uh, an explanation of amortization. Oh, really? What does it say? Amortization is a fiduciary. It's driving me mad. I've been working on it for weeks. I've worn myself down to a shadow. Yes, but that shadow still covers quite a lot of ground. Mr. Wells, Mr. Wells, please. The man is waiting from the reducing salon. Send him in. I know just where he can start into work. Ah, bonjour, 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 Monsieur Wells. You're ready for the reducing treatment, huh? Oh, la la, Mr. Wells, you've gained 20 pounds in the hip. Take your clammy paws off me. <laughs> Mon Dieu, I've been talking to the wrong man. I must put on the eyeglasses. Well, there. Huh? Good heavens, I did not see the beard. That's Charles Lawton, and he has no beard. No beard? Oh, down this fuzz on my eyeglasses. <laughs> there. Oh, now I can see your face more clearly. Anybody see where that fuzz went? <laughs> well, Mr. Wells, how about the reducing treatment? Well, huh? frankly, and without mentioning names, there are others around here who need more. Now, that isn't fair, Orson, making fun of my shape like that just because you've got a military figure. Oh, I'm sorry, Charlie. Military figure, eh? Yes. It breaks ranks when it ought to fall in. <laughs> Oh, messieurs, why do you gentlemen argue? Such great Shakespearean actors. Oh, thank you. <laughs> he was looking you. at me. <laughs> I have but to look at you, gentlemen, and I am reminded of those wonderful lines of Shakespeare. Really? What lines? Ah, that this too, too solid flesh should melt. <laughs> Uh, I, I won't have you talking this way about my friend, Mr. Lawton. He was looking at you. <laughs> come, come, gentlemen. My time is valuable. Uh, all right. What would you charge to give us both treatment? For you, gentlemen, $70. Or for you, $10. That's right, $10. Yeah. 60 20 50 30 40 50 30 60 20 70 80 90 100 You drive a hard bargain, monsieur, but I take it. Ludd Gluskin and his court of missing hares, 
playing I'll Get By. And here's John McIntyre to tell you how to get by with your old automobile. Folks, which one of these motorists are you? Said one, so my car is on the fritz. So what? I'm getting me a brand new buggy any day now. Said the other, pleasant dreams, boy. How you kid yourself. There'll be no new cars on the market for a long, long time. That second motorist is right, folks. Latest predictions are it will be at least two years after victory before you can expect a brand new car. My point is you've got to make your old car last. And it can last if you change oil regularly and keep your crankcase filled up full with fresh, clean mobile oil. These days your speeds are low, your trips are short. Your oil dilutes and dirties faster. That can lead to loss of gasoline, a breakdown, big repair bills. Now, mobile oil is specially refined to stand up under wartime driving. Good, clean mobile oil in your crankcase can guard your engine against wear, add miles to the life of your car. Keep that precious buggy rolling. Drive in often at the sign of the Flying Red Horse. Ask for the world's largest selling motor oil, mobile oil. Ladies and gentlemen, we bring you now... An Unexpurgated Biography, The Private Life of Charles Lawton. Charles Lawton first saw light of day in a little suburb in London. The date was September 12th in a year which I find has been crossed out of my script. (laughs) The uh, birth certificate bore the following interesting legend. Born this day, Charles Lawton, blue eyes, brown hair, weight 14 and a half pounds. Parents? Parents? Picture, if you can, that stirring moment before the arrival of little Charlie. The cute little 14-and-a-half-pound bundle. If you listen, you can almost hear the stork on that historic flight. We see in our mind's eye the first meeting, the first meeting of mother and child. The mother looks down at little Charlie. (laughs) The father speaks. I know just how you feel, mother. Oh, no, I'm sorry I screamed. He is beautiful, isn't he? Frankly, dear, he looks like the third item on a scavenger hunt. Look at him, he's trying to talk. (laughs) Isn't that cute? (laughs) There goes my swoon club. (laughs) You know, we're rather lucky he was born today. Just think, in six short months from now, on March 15th, we can list him as part of our fiduciary income. (laughs) Years pass, years pass, and we find Charles Lawton as a bouncing boy of eight. We see him now at play in his backyard. A little friend approaches. Hello, Tubby. What you got? Don't call me Tubby, Chubby. (laughs) Sorry, Fatso. What you got? Bar of chocolate. Want a piece? Yes. Too late, I got it in my mouth. <laughs> ah, stingy. Don't call me stingy. Anybody calls me stingy's got to fight. You want to fight? You want to fight? Yeah, I want to fight. All right, take your coat off. 
There, I got me coat off. It's much cooler that way, isn't it? Now, <laughs> oh, come on with me. I got an idea. Let's play with the girls. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to. How old are you? I don't know whether I'm seven or eight. Do you like kissing girls? No. You're seven. <laughs> I know what. Let's go down to the theatre and watch the actors. Yeah, that's what I'm going to be when I grow up. An actor. You should live so long. <laughs> Little Charles progressed rapidly and at the age of 14 was an accomplished thespian. Who will ever forget his immortal characterization in that stirring drama, The Way of the Wanderer, the role of Touche, the courageous Sikh? Who can forget that scene? The brave Touche standing guard outside. Colonel Rupton of the Fusilier speaks. Men, there is one among us who may yet save the day. I speak of Touche who stands there, just beyond the door. Men, I have seen Touche in battle against hopeless odds, fighting tooth and nail and emerging always victorious. I have seen Touche go for days without food and water. Gentlemen, gentlemen, your blood will run cold when he tells you the things he has seen. Let him tell you now. Touche! Touche, the courageous one. Enter! Yes, who will ever forget Charles Lawton as Touche? <laughs> he, uh, he was so magnificent as Touche that from that day forward, Charles Lawton was never out of the theater. 1916. Here you are, folks. Get your peanuts, popcorn, crackers. 1918. Tickets, please. 1919. Get your chocolate bars, folks. And each and every bar, you're going to find a solid gold 14 watch. <laughs> Jewel watch. <laughs> Price is only 10 cents, and you can take it off your fiduciary income. Notice he doesn't blow up on fiduciary. And now Charles Lawton was a man. It was at this point in his career that he created the memorable Jacques Bibot in the desert rat. Who will ever forget him alone on the boundless Sahara? His eyes blinded by the sun and sand. His tongue parched. His mind crazed. Who can ever forget that moment as he stumbled, stumbled, stumbled upon a glistening object in the sand? Can it be? Yes, it is. A canteen. Feverishly, he puts the canteen to his lips and... <laughs> Who will ever forget Charles Lawton as Jacques Bibot? You know, Orson, it just occurred to me that for a sketch depicting the story of my life, I'm in it pretty seldom. <laughs> wait, wait, Charlie. Your big scene comes now. Who among us does not remember that stirring moment in Mutiny on the Bounty, really? The hate drug Captain Bly, stalking the deck above, the men plodding below. As sure as my name is Christian Men, I tell you that our manhood gives us only one recourse. Would you be slaves, chained, spat upon, flogged by a madman? I say to you, this, comrades, there is but one thing for us to do. A dark night, a sudden push, a splash. Mr. Christian, sir, he's coming. Let him come, I fear him not. He's here, Mr. Christian, he's at the door. Let him enter, we shall see now who is to be master of the ship. What a scene that was. <laughs> Who will ever forget Orson Welles as Mr. Christian? <laughs> then, then for Charles Lawton, triumph mounted upon triumph. When do I get to play my big scene? Right now, right now. Finally, at the peak of his career, Charles Lawton was awarded a coveted assignment on that radio program which is every intellectual's ambition. 
Mr. Fadiman speaks. Uh, gentlemen, here is a question submitted by Mr. O. Wells of Beverly Hills, California. The question is, what is a fiduciary? Mr. Lawton has his hand up. Good heavens, there's a gun in it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, in a little while, Charles Lawton is coming back to the microphone. Seriously, we're going to do a scene together from Shakespeare. But now it's time for some music. We bring you three minutes of jazz. Many of you listening have never heard it before. What you've heard are jazz ideas, flicked up by commercial arrangers and jazz musicians. Real jazz is only available on records unless you're willing to go out and look for it and don't mind late hours. It's worth the trouble. The hit tunes, hit arrangements, and hit bands may spoil your ear for it at first, but nobody who's ever made an honest effort to find out about it has ever failed to end up as a jazz enthusiast. The whole thing started in that good time, wide open, all-night carnival city, which was New Orleans before the last war. Jazz bands playing the riverboats carried this new kind of music up to Chicago. From there, it spread all over the world and influenced all popular music and the greater part of what's called serious music. I'm not going to try to explain what it is, but I would like to point out that jazz is art for art's sake, if ever there was such a thing. It's music musicians play for themselves, for their own satisfaction, the way they like it. The men we've gathered in the studio to play jazz tonight are, by general acknowledgement, among the finest instrumentalists on earth. They are the great men of jazz, and their appearance together is a musical event. We bring you now what is probably the only existing jazz band. Experts will recognize these men when they hear them, but I'm proud to list their names. Mutt Carey, trumpet. Kid Ore, trombone. Clarinet, Jimmy Noon. Piano, Buster Wilson. Guitar, Bud Scott. Bass, Ed Garland. Drums, Zooty Singleton. They're going to play High Society. Thank <laughs> you. 
This being the Ides of March, your radio almanac brings you now a scene from Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, with Charles Lawton as Cassius and your obedient servant as Brutus. This is the famous quarrel scene. The wars which followed the assassination of Caesar have not yet turned against Brutus and Cassius, but things are not well for them, and their disagreements have almost ended their old friendship. It is dusk. Cassius has come to Brutus's camp for conference, and now, wild with rage, he strides into Brutus's tent. That you have wronged me doth appear in this. You have condemned and noted Lucius Pella for taking bribes here of the Sardians. We're in my letters, praying on his side because I knew the man was slighted off. You wronged yourself to write in such a case. In such a time as this, it is not meet that every nice offense should bear his comment. Let me tell you, Cassius, you yourself are much condemned to have an itching palm mm? to sell and march your offices for gold to undeservers. I, an itching palm? You know that you are Brutus that speak this, or by the gods this speech, or else you are laughing. The name of Cassius honors this corruption and chastisement does ever hide his head. Chastisement? Remember March. The Ides of March. Remember? Did not great Julius bleed for justice' sake? What villain touched his body that did stab and not for justice? What shall one of us that struck the foremost man of all this world but for supporting robbers? Shall we now contaminate our fingers with base bribes and sell the mighty space of our large honors for so much trash as may be grasped? I'd rather be a dog and be the moon than such a Roman. Brutus, they not me. I'll not endure it. You forget yourself to hedge me in. I am a soldier, I, older in practice, abler than yourself. To make conditions. Go to, you are not, Cassius. I am. I say you are not. Urge me no more. Oh. I shall forget myself. Have mind upon your health. Tempt me no further. Away, slight man. Oh, gods, ye gods. Must I endure all this? All this I more. Crack ye, you proud heartbreak. Must I observe you? Must I stand and crouch under your testy humor? By the gods, you shall digest the venom of your spleen, though it do split you. For from this day forth, I'll use you for my mirth. Yea, for my laughter when you are waspish. Is it come to this? You say you're a better soldier. Let it appear so. Make your vaunting true, and it shall please me well. For my own part, I shall be glad to learn of noble men. You wrong me every way. Ah. You wrong me, Brutus. I said an elder soldier, not a better. Did I say better? You did, I care not. When Caesar lived, he durst not thus have moved. Peace, peace, you durst not so have tempted him. I durst not. No. 
What does not tempt him? In your life, you dare not. Do not presume too much upon my love. I may do that I shall be sorry for. You have done that you should be sorry for. There is no terror, Cassius, in your threats. For I am armed so strong in honesty that they pass me by as the idle wind which I respect not. I did send to you for certain sums of gold which you denied me. For I can raise no money by vile means. Why, haven't I rather coin my heart and drop my blood for drachmas than to wring from the hard hands of peasants their vile trash by any indirection? I did send you for gold to pay my legions, which you denied me. Was that done like Cassius? Should I have answered Caius Cassius so? I denied you not. You did. I did not. He was but a fool that brought my answer back. Brutus hath writhed my heart. A friend should bear his friend's infirmities. But Brutus makes mine greater than they are. I do not till you practice them on me. You love me not. I do not like your faults. A friendly eye could never see such faults. Ah, uh, flatterers would not. Come, Antony and young Octavius, come. Revenge yourselves alone on Cassius. For Cassius is a weary of the world. Hated by one he loves, brave by his brother. Checked like a bondman. All his faults observed, set in a notebook, learned, and conned by rote to cast into my teeth. Oh, I could weep my spirit from mine eyes. There is my dagger. Here, my naked breast, I that denied thee gold, will give my hat. Strike as thou didst at Caesar, for I know when thou didst hate him worst. Thou lovest him better than ever thou loved scatters. Sheathe your dagger. Be angry when you will, it shall have scope. Do what you will. Dishonor shall be Uber. Hath Cassius lived to be but mirth and laughter to his Brutus when grief and blood ill-tempered vexeth him? When I said that, I was ill-tempered too. Do you confess so much? Give me your hand. And my heart, too. Oh, Brutus. What's the matter? Have you not loved enough to bear with me when that rash humor which my mother gave me makes me forgetful? Yes, Cassius. And from henceforth, when you are over-earnest with your Brutus, you'll think your mother chides and leave you, sir. I did not think you could have been so angry, oh, my dear brother. <laughs> this was an ill beginning of the night. Never come such division between our souls, let it not, Brutus. Everything is well. Good night, my lord. Good night, good brother. Some say coupon, some say coupon. 
But whatever they call that precious piece of paper in their gas ration book, the smartest motorists of all say mobile gas. When you redeem your coupon for this proven gasoline, you get the miles. And now with the new OPA order reducing even more the supply of available gasoline, it's more important than ever that motorists turn to mobile gas. Mobile gas in 1944 is giving all the miles it gave in peacetime. Now that's a powerful statement. You get every wartime mile it's possible to give you when you get mobile gas. City drivers, country drivers praise this gasoline and pass their coupons. Salesmen, war plant workers all say mobile gas for mine. How about you? Why not change today to America's favorite gasoline? There's a friendly fellow waiting to pump it in your tank, your mobile gas dealer. You'll find him at the sign of the flying red horse. Drive in soon, because these days you want miles, and that means... You want mobile gas. Thank you, John McIntyre. Time to say goodnight now, everybody. Please join us again next Wednesday. Until then, my sponsors, the makers of mobile gas and mobile oil, and all of us in the Mercury Theater, remain as always obediently yours. Makers of mobile gas and mobile oil invite you to listen in next week. Same time, same station, to your radio almanac. Mr. Wells' guest is Betty Hutton. John McIntyre speaks. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.